All right, well, good morning, church. Uh, listen, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Will Franco. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Village Church. Uh, it's so good to see all of your beautiful faces here this morning. And if you're new here, you probably don't know that we are in the tail end of a series entitled Weapons of Self-Destruction. We are in part six of a seven-part series entitled Weapons of Self-Destruction. And this morning, we are going to be addressing and unpacking uh, the sin of greed. The sin of greed. Ooh, all right? So that's what we're going to be doing. And as usual, for those of you who've been following along in this series, we've been using the same outline. So this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to look at the problem of greed. And then once we get a better understanding of the problem, then we will spend the rest of our time looking at the solution. All right? So we're going to look at the problem of it, and then we will conclude by looking at the solution for it. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to begin by looking at the problem of greed. And in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this problem uh, through three different lenses. There are, there are layers to this problem, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at each of the layers, each of the levels, and uh, here are the lenses that I want to look at this problem through. This morning, we're going to look at, in order to understand the problem, we're going to look at the significance of greed, then we are going to look at the source of greed, and then we're going to look at the symptoms. So the significance, the source, and the symptoms. So here's what I mean by significance. I want to begin this morning by looking at what is the meaning, the, the definition of this word, of this sin, greed. Now, the reason why I want to start with a definition is because out of all the sins that we're looking at in this series, this sin might be the one that we are most likely to call a sin. Like, I don't think I have to convince anyone here this morning that greed is a sin, right? That's pretty easy for us to admit. Here's what's harder for us to admit. What's harder for us to admit is that we actually struggle with that sin, right? So when you looked at the list of, of, of the seven deadly sins, you're like, okay, that greed has to be here for sure. I get why they put that one there. But that one, has, it has nothing to do with me, though. That's for those other people. And what starts to happen when we think of greed, what, what a lot of us do is we think of uh, the shady Wall Street types, right? And we think of the, 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 those, uh, those creepy CEOs at the top of the company that, that no one knows, right? Lurking in the shadows, taking all our money of the Enrons of the world. And we think of, uh, uh, of uh, Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street. Or we think of Ebenezer Scrooge from The Christmas Carol. Those are the greedy people, not me. I, I could tell, I know it's an issue, but no, not, not me though, right? Well, what we're going to see though, and that's why I want to start with a definition, and, and that's why I want to start right here, is because I want to make sure that every single person understands that it does include you, and that this sin is way closer to your row than you think. And I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about you, okay? We struggle with greed. So let's, let's define this a little bit. The, the Greek word for greed, it's used multiple times throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. The Greek word there is pleonexia, pleonexia. And here's what that Greek word means. The word there, pleo or pleon, it means more, and then exia means to have. So literally, the, the, it literally means more to have. That's how, it, how it's said in the Greek. But in English, the order is different, so it's to have more. So pleonexia means more to have, to have more. So if you struggle with greed, here's what you want. You want just a little bit more. Now, not a lot more. Come on, I don't, I'm not one of those. Just a little bit more. That's what pleonexia means, okay? So what I want to do, is, now that we have a better understanding of what greed means in Scripture, in, in the New Testament, I want to look at some, some other definitions. Uh, two of them come from Christian writers, uh, and I've been quoting Thomas Aquinas a lot, uh, but it's because he writes so much on the seven deadly sins. And here's what uh, Aquinas says about the sin of greed. He says that greed is an excessive love of or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. So don't miss that. Because a lot of times when we think of greed, we only think of someone who wants money. Oh, you want money. That's your thing. 
No, no, but, but if, you, if the reason why you want money is because money is just a means to an end and you really want to buy blank, that's actually another, it's still a form of greed. And so Jared Wilson, who's also uh, another person who I've been quoting a lot in this series because he also writes a book on the seven deadly sins, he, he kind of takes that Aquinas definition. I think that's where I found the Aquinas definition, actually. And then he summarizes it in his own words. He says that greed is loving money and or possessions. Greed is loving money and or possessions. That, the, the operative word there, that, the, the key word there is the word loving. Loving money and or possessions. But what I found interesting this week is that the best definition that I found on this subject of greed actually wasn't even from a biblical source. It was from the Merriam-Webster uh, dictionary. I don't know if Merriam or Webster were Christians, but they got this one <laughs> spot on, all right? In light of scripture, I think this is actually the best definition because it's more general than the other two I just gave you. What they say is that greed is a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. So they use money as an example, but all greed is, is an excessive or selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. So here's why that definition is important. In light of the biblical definition, and in light of Merriam-Webster's definition, here's what this means. What it means is, is that you can be a greedy person, and what you want is not money. Because if, if, the, if the Greek word is pleonexia, it just means to have more, you can have more of a lot of stuff. It doesn't necessarily just have to be, to be money. So maybe for you, what you're greedy about is your time, right? You, you want as much time to yourself as possible. And maybe it's because you're busy and you just don't want to give up your schedule. Or it might be because you're a bum and you just like just bumming around. And you don't like people taking away from your nap time or from your video game time or from your Facebook time or from your Netflix time. God forbid someone tries to take from my time. So you can be very, very greedy with your time. Another thing that you can be greedy about is with control. There's people who all they want is control. If I could only have a little bit more control, God, control of my children, control of my marriage, control of my diet, control of my, uh, of my money, whatever it is, you just want more control, just a little bit more control. But, but what happens, though, when you want a little bit more control is what you're saying is, God, I need to be in control because I don't think you're doing that good of a job of controlling things. L let me do it. God, God, let me try. So you can be greedy with control. And people come and try to help you, and you can't accept help because when you accept help, you're losing control. That's why greed is so insidious because we can be greedy about a lot of stuff, guys. And then here's the thing. If, if it's the love of money and or possessions, here's what's so funny. There's people who you might, when you think of the, the greedy person, you think of the person who's buying nice cars and, and boats and stuff. Well, that might be how their greed is shown. But then you look at your budget, and we talked about gluttony last week, and you spent, you're greedy with food, or you're greedy with clothes, or you're greedy with whatever your hobby is, or you're greedy with shoes. I have 47 pairs. I just need a 48th, though. And that's how, that's how I am with technology. Like, I'm, I'm really big into clothes, and I'm really big into technology. And what's funny is, if my wife goes on, her, uh, on a shopping run, I literally have like a, like a timer. I'm like, all right, she should be done in about 26 minutes, go. And if it takes longer than that, I'm like, hey, honey, are you okay? Did you get an accident? Like, what's going on? Because uh, uh, almost always, the longer she takes, the more she spends. And, and what's so funny, though, is that it's quick. I am very quick to call her out on her greed and her overspending. But when it's my area, when it's a, a new TV or new technology or new clothes, man, of course, that's for me. It's my thing. It's not, greed. it's not greed when it's my thing. And so we're so quick to judge one another when it comes to the area of greed. And yet we all tend to have areas where we're willing to overspend. So maybe you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, you, you've worn the same jeans for 25 years, but then you're overspent on vacation though. Vacation is for me. I'm going to overspend. Even if we go in debt, I don't care because I deserve a vacation. See, so, so the reality is that greed 
looks different from person to person. And that's why I appreciate the, this, de- this definition from Merriam-Webster because it includes money, but it's actually anytime you want more of something than is needed. God has nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with having a vacation. There's nothing wrong with having clothes. There's nothing wrong with having shoes. There's nothing wrong with having money. And we'll talk about that in a second. It's when you want more than you need. Listen, God is in the business of meeting your needs. He is not in the business of meeting your greed. There's people here right now who are mad at God because he's not meeting your greed. He meets your need, not your greed. So now that we have a a definition, now that we understand the the significance of greed, the meaning of greed, I want to look at the next part of this problem, which is the source. And here's the question. Where does greed come from? According to the Bible, where does our greed come from? Now, what you might assume, and I know you might because I am tempted and I was tempted to do that even this week. You might be tempted to assume that the problem with greed is money. Man, if, I, if money didn't exist, I wouldn't have any problems. But a but, couple things. First thing, when you look at Scripture, money is neutral. In Scripture, money is not bad or good. It's neutral. There are places in Scripture where money is presented as a blessing, and there's places where money is presented as a curse. And you know how the Bible determines what, if it's a blessing or a curse? Who's the one managing it? Someone can have a lot of money and it's a blessing, and someone can have a lot of money and it's a curse. And for those of you who are poor and barely making it, someone can be barely making it and it's a blessing, and someone can be barely making it and it's a curse. What's interesting is that in Scripture, since money is neutral, it can be a blessing or a curse depending on the individual. Uh, what we see is that money can lead to freedom if it's the right person, but it can lead to enslavement if it's the wrong person. There's a lot of people who are like, I just want financial freedom. But really, the more money you make, the more enslaved you become. And there's nothing free about your finances. So a little bit more money just means a little bit more slavery. That's the issue. With more money comes more things to buy and more, more, more checks to write and more people to give stuff to. We always figure out how to add more stuff when the more money shows up. So, so the source, so, so, so we would think that, that the problem is, is money, but if money in Scripture is neutral, then that means the problem cannot be money because it depends on the person. So if that's not the source of our greed, then what is? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, one of the most well-known passages on greed in Scripture, uh, it says in verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. And we'll come back to that verse at the end. That verse, verse 6, is really important. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Look at verse 8, though. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, this is important. I want to pause here for a second. Paul says to Timothy that if all we have is food and clothing, we should be content. But here's what's incredible if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and you have Jesus, you have infinitely more than just food and clothing. So if you should be content with just food and clothing, how much more should you be content when you understand the riches you have in Jesus? And that, that's why the, one of the Puritans, the, the, one of my favorite pictures of this is the, is the Puritan who sits down to eat and all he has is broader, bread and water. And he says, how can I have all this and Jesus? How can I have all this and Jesus? So if we should be content with food and clothing, how much more should we be content if we have Jesus? And yet so many of us walk around like orphans with no inheritance. Then look at what it says next. He says those, he starts getting really specific about greed. He says those who want to get rich, greedy people, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Then he says, for the love of money. See, see, the problem is not money. The problem is the love of money. The problem is when I love money more than I love Jesus. That's the problem. 
When money has my allegiance, where money is where I find my security and my self-worth. If I have more, then I'm better. If I have less, then I'm less. It's when I love money more than God. That's when problems start to arise. The love of money. Then he says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, we're going to talk about this more later on, but I want to make sure I pause here for a second. When greed is what, you, what motivates you, right? When greed is what gets you up in the morning, there are all kinds of evil that you are willing to commit. You're willing to cut corners at work. You're willing to lie on your taxes. You're willing to exaggerate when you're selling something at work to make a commission. You're willing to sacrifice the Sabbath because I got to make money. Sorry, God. When greed is your motivation, when that's the God that you are worshiping, you are willing to sacrifice a lot of other stuff. And it leads to all kinds of evil. Some people, he says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want to focus on that part where it says, have wandered from the faith. You know, in another part of Scripture, Jesus says that it's hard for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. It's hard to enter the kingdom of God. And here's why he says it. It's not because Jesus likes poor people more than he likes rich people. But because rich people deal with a temptation that poor people do not deal with. Rich people are tempted to think that the more money I have, the more secure I am. So the reason why they don't, they're not worried about entering God's kingdom is because they've created their own. That's why in Proverbs it says that for the rich man, his wealth is a strong tower. It's a fortress. But it's interesting, in other parts in Proverbs, it says that God is a strong tower in a fortress. But why would I go to that fortress when I got this one? See, the reason why, according to this passage, it says that it says some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. Here's what's so interesting about a wealthy person. The reason why I think a wealthy person has a more difficult time of entering God's kingdom, the reason why it's so easy for them to wander from their faith is because Maybe their faith was never in God to, believe, to begin with. They, they were going to church and they were checking off boxes, but, but, but their faith was never actually in their Savior. It was in their savings. And so it's easy to wander from the faith when you never had faith in the thing to begin with. Man, everybody can trust God when there's money in the bank. You wouldn't believe how much your faith goes up when you get a raise. Faith skyrockets. One of the best examples of this in Scripture is Judas. Judas was with Jesus day in and day out. There he was, Judas and Jesus. And Jesus talked about money and greed a lot. And Judas was there taking notes with everybody else. But what's interesting is that almost every time we hear Judas talk, he's talking about money. Hey, whoa, whoa, don't sell that. Don't sell that. Don't, go, don't give that away to the poor. Let's keep, let's keep it in the, in, in the money bag because we don't know what's going to happen. And really what he, was, what he wanted was that he was actually taking money out of the bag. And so he, he, he was just using the money for his own endeavors. But it was always greed. He was never motivated by God. He was always motivated by greed. That's why at the end of his life, if you're following the Gospels, you shouldn't be surprised where he ends up. He never really wandered from the faith because he was never there to begin with. His faith was in God, I mean, in, in greed the whole time. The whole entire time, he was worshiping something smaller than Jesus. So the problem is, is the love of money. That's the issue. God has nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money. Which means, follow with me here, you can be greedy whether you are rich or you are poor. So if you're sitting here today, and you're like, man, you tell those rich people, Pastor Will, <laughs> with their boats and their houses and all their nice stuff. You could be dead broke and be more greedy than a millionaire. 
Because it's not the actual having of the money, it's the loving of money. Actually, I would argue that poor people are more susceptible to greed. Because at least rich people have gotten there and have realized, eh, it's really not what it, it, it all, you know, what I thought it was going to be. It's the poor people who think, oh man, if I get to that place, if I can just have that money, and it includes middle class too, just in case you, <laughs> so you sit here, you're like, hey, I'm not poor though. He ain't talking to me. I'm not rich. I'm not poor. Middle class is included. Okay? It's an equal opportunity employer, greed is. <laughs> so, what we see, so what we see is that this is an issue for every person in this room. Whether you have a zero in your bank account or negative or $10 million. Greed is an equal opportunity employer. It's the love of money. Jesus actually takes it a step further. Look what he says in Matthew, five, uh, Matthew 6. He says, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will what? Say it again. The one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so it all sounds good there because he's keeping it general, but then he gets very specific. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. So following me here, this is very important. This is why greed is so dangerous. When you love money, you are hating God. You are despising God. You're like, well, that's, that's a bit strong. But I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. When I am serving and worshiping this deity, I don't have time to worship and serve that deity. There's only one throne on our hearts. And if money's there, sorry, God. It's like musical chairs. Only one thing on this throne. That's why this is so dangerous. That's why this sin is so insidious. It's the, it's the love of money. It's the, it's the serving. It's the serving of money instead of God. So, so just don't, don't miss this as we summarize the source here for a second. What Scripture is saying is that when it comes to money, you can appreciate money, but you should never adore money. Okay? You can steward money, but you should never serve money. You can enjoy money, but you should never be enslaved to money. That's what the Bible tells us. Let's go back to the third part of the problem. We've seen the significance. We've seen the source. And the last thing I want to look at uh, as we diagnose the problem is I want to look at the symptoms. Because there are people in this room who still don't think they struggle with greed. And so what I want to do is I want to give you the symptoms of a greedy person. So as I walk through them, you might be able to self-diagnose, okay? Look at the symptoms. The first one is this. A greedy person has a lack of generosity. A greedy person lacks generosity. Well, how do I know? Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 11. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give. Don't miss that. It's in the Hebrew and the English. And only suffers want. So here's what the Bible says. In Proverbs, we are told that the person who gives freely grows all the richer. But then he says, but the person who withholds what he should give. Not what he, nah, if, you have, if you have time, you have just a little bit extra, go ahead and throw a couple dollars over here. No, no. What you should give. God says you are to give. Okay? And I'm not saying that so we get money. Tri-Village is doing great financially. I don't need your money. God wants your money, though. Because one of the best ways to deal with your greed is generosity. You could say money doesn't control you all you want, but if you can't give it away, it controls you. So what we see is that when one gives freely, that individual grows all the richer. But here's the thing. We need to be careful here because prosperity people love this passage. Oh, I get what I got to do. So if I give freely, I'm going to grow rich. But, but here's what's interesting. In the passage, it doesn't say what type of rich you're going to become. 
It doesn't say, hey, if you give money, you're going to get money back. That's not what the passage says. So you might grow richer, maybe financially, but maybe it's spiritually. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's personally. And so you got to be careful when you see this passage because all the, the prosperity people love this verse. But here's what, follow with me here. And here's why prosperity gospel is a lie from hell. Okay? Why Joel Osteen is a false teacher. Okay? Here's why. Because if the reason why I give is to get money back, I'm still being motivated by greed. If I give a 20 and I think I'm going to get a 40, that's still greed. I'm still giving to my real God, which is not the God in my wallet, but the bills in my pocket. That's the issue. And that's why we know that's not what the passage says. But then it says, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to suffer financially, but you're going to suffer spiritually, emotionally. You're going to become more and more enslaved to that thing that you can't give away. You will suffer want. You will suffer want. See, the person who struggles with greed, the reason why they cannot be generous is because greedy people have a scarcity mindset. They don't think there'll be enough. And so I got, I got to hoard. Because what if, what if something happens? What am I going to do if something happens? And what you're doing is you're not trusting God's provision. But, but, but that's why you, you, you have to hoard. You don't, have a scarce, you don't have an abundant mindset. You have a scarcity mindset. You know, one of the, the pastors who kind of divides people's opinions, depending on who you are or where you are uh, in, in, as far as Christianity, you might love this guy, you might not like this guy. But, but Rick Warren is a pastor that kind of divides people, right? But I'm not here to make a comment on his theology. I, I want to bring up a story that, that he brought up that really encouraged me and actually convicted me, if I'm being honest. So Rick Warren, for those of you who don't know, is a pastor in California, and he wrote uh, the, the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And I don't know if you know this, but it's the second highest selling book in human history behind the Bible. Second highest in human history. So this man is not a millionaire. He actually could be a billionaire with how much money he's made from this book. Okay? Now follow with me here. One of the things that, so I, I was watching this conference. And there was this, uh, this conference with, with all these reformed guys. And uh, uh, Rick Warren was there. Rick Warren doesn't really fall into the reform camp. So I remember like, when I saw him there, I was like, this is, you know, this is weird. So I listened to a sermon. And in that sermon, he was speaking on the subject of worldliness, and he brought up the concept of generosity. And he says, this is what, here's what poor people say. He says, poor people say, man, when I, I'm not generous right now. I'm not giving right now. But when I get money, oh, I'm going to give it all away. You, if I get money, oh, man, I promise, if, if I just get just a few more dollars, I'm going to be so generous. Rick Warren says that's a lie. And here's why. He says that when him and his wife first got married, they were broke. They bought a house. They bought their first car. And they were broke. But they promised each other their first year of their marriage. They said, we're going to give 1% more every single year. So we're going to go from 10 to 11, to 12, to 13, to 14, whatever. And they went on from there, right? Well, he goes on to read, right, the, the second highest selling book in human history. And the guy's a multimillionaire, at least. Rick Warren now lives off of 10% of what he makes and gives away 90. Now, before you get impressed, he still lives in the same house they bought when they, were, they first got married. Drives the same pickup truck and wears the same jeans. And so he says that the reason why he's giving now is because he was already giving then. Listen, if you can't give when you're poor, you're not going to give when you're rich. Stop lying to yourself now. If you don't want to give to God when you're poor, you're not going to give to God when you're rich. Because your God is not God, your God is money. If you can't give when you're poor, it means you're worshiping money, not Jesus. So why are you going to start worshiping Jesus all of a sudden when you get more of the thing that you wanted? So if poverty is keeping you from generosity, being wealthy will keep you from it too. So the first symptom of a, uh, of a greedy person is their lack of generosity. Uh, another symptom of a greedy person is a lack of protection. Here's what I mean by a lack of protection. One of the ways you know you're struggling with greed is if you don't think you're struggling with greed. Like if you're sitting here and you're like, ah, oh, man, I'm, 
this is great stuff. I, I'm taking notes for a friend, but it's got nothing to do with me. One of the ways you know you struggle with greed is if you don't think you struggle with greed. And here's the issue. When you don't think you struggle with greed, you don't protect yourself from it. There's a lack of oversight. There's a lack of protection. You don't think it's an issue. But in Luke chapter 12, look what Jesus says. He says, then he said to them, watch out. This is Jesus talking about greed. Be on your guard. The word there, guard, the, the picture there in the Greek is of a, of a night watchman standing on the wall looking out on the horizon to see if there's an enemy coming. That's the word picture there in Greek. Be on your guard. Oh, and also that word there, uh, that phrase there on your guard is in the present. It's a present tense verb. So it means that you're continually doing it, not just one time, but all the time, right? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. We talked about the different kinds. It's not just money. You can be greedy about a lot of things. Jesus says that we are to be on guard all the time against all kinds of greed. Then he essentially goes after the lie that our Western culture says. The, the, the culture we live in says your life consists in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Capitalism is built on that lie. If we didn't believe that lie, capitalism wouldn't exist. It's required for us to believe it in order for capitalism to work. We believe, Christian or non-Christian, that life consists in an abundance of possessions. I just need more. You know the phrase, less is more? You know what we should do, say instead? We should say less of more. We need less of more. We need to stop using the more word. We need less of that. Not less is more, less of more. That's what Christians need. Because we're buying into it hook, line, and singer. Jesus says that we must be on guard because the temptation comes from inside and from outside. And if there's ever been a culture that comes after you with greed, it's our culture. It's all about more and better and newer. Even, even advertisers, they use words like, you deserve this. You deserve this car. You deserve this vacation. You deserve this meal. You deserve it. Don't let anyone tell you you don't. Look how hard you worked. Look how much you've done. You deserve this. You need this. That's why many advertisers aren't selling a product. They're selling a promise. They're promising you that if you buy this thing, you'll finally feel secure. You'll finally feel satisfied. You'll finally feel significant. Not, many of them aren't even selling a product anymore. That's why in most Apple commercials, you don't even see what they're selling. It's all about how it makes you feel. You need this. You deserve this. It's all about you. That's the world that we live in. So we have to be on guard. If you don't think you have the problem, you're not going to protect yourself from it. And that's one of the signs that you actually have the problem. Let's go to the next one. The next symptom is a lack of satisfaction. People who struggle with greed, which is anyone who's breathing in this room, and if someone's not breathing, let me know, we'll call the ambulance, but, <laughs> but anyone who is breathing in this room struggles with greed. And one of the ways you know is when you have a lack of satisfaction. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 5. Solomon writes, whoever loves money never has what? Never have enough just always a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Whoever loves wealth is never, what? Satisfied. That's why I said lack of satisfaction. Never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them? Then he says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. Listen to this. But as for the rich, and just so you know, if you're American, you're rich. You're considered rich in the world we live in. Whether even, even though you're living below the poverty line, you're rich compared to the rest of the world, right? But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. See, that's the problem with greed is your God. When greed is your God, it gets you up in the morning, but it also keeps you up at night. How many books, how many self-help programs are built on greed? Just sell, 
Just sell, just sell, just work, out hustle, get it, right? Man, it'll get you up in the morning, but it'll also keep you up at night. But those who trust in God, says another proverb that one of the gifts God gives you is sleep. Because it's not on you. It's not about your savings, it's about your Savior. And so I can sleep, man, because the work, the work is finished. That's the danger. I, someone put it this way, and I just think that's just, it really, the illustration really hit me. He said, trying to fill our souls, the, the God-shaped hole in our soul with greed is like tossing a few marbles in the Grand Canyon. And how many of us, that's what we keep doing. Just, oh, that, that last raise didn't work. I just need another raise. Throw a couple more marbles in there. I just need to spend, I need to overspend. I need one shopping spree and I'll be better. Throw a couple marbles in there. Just as empty as you were before. And how many of us have full savings and empty souls? Keep tossing the marbles. That's the danger of this sin. It will never, ever, 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 ever satisfy. It just doesn't work. The next way you can tell, the next symptom of a greedy person is the first three had to do with lack. The second, the last two have to do with abundance, okay? Here's the, the fourth symptom. An abundance of sacrifice. Here's what I mean by an abundance of sacrifice. Look what it says in Proverbs 28. It says, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Then in Proverbs chapter 11, or sorry, 15, is it this? It says, the greedy bring ruin to their households, but the one who hates bribes will live. So follow with me here. Here's what happens. When greed is your God and not God, you are willing to do whatever you need to do to get money and or possessions, including sacrificing those closest to you. So you're willing to stay on the road for weeks on end because you got to make money. You're willing to sacrifice your health. You're willing to sacrifice your money. I mean, not your money. You're willing to sacrifice your, your health, uh, your, your, your time, your sleep. You're willing to sacrifice your Sabbath. And according to this passage, you're willing to sacrifice your family. That's why it's so funny how we get so judgy with people in the Old Testament and those sinners who sacrifice their children to the God of Molech. How dare you? How, how, how wicked is it to sacrifice your children to the God of Molech? But how many Christians right now in this room are sacrificing their children to the God of Mammon? Hey, son, I'll be back. I promise. Just, just one more raise. Just, 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 just uh, one more house. Just one more, one more boat, one more car, one more. Just, just I'll, be there. I'll be there soon, kids. I'll be there soon. I'm going to spend time with you. When I have enough money, but there's never enough money, so you never spend time. I can't tell you how many marriages have been destroyed by the sin of greed. And you're, you're, the whole family knows that you're worshiping greed, not God. Everyone sees it. You don't, but they do. And then you're willing to give everything up for this God, and you come home and you're like, you know what, honey, I'm tired. I don't have time to talk. Kids, you know what, I'm tired. I don't have time to. Why? Because you just, you've been worshiping all day. Instead of whistling while you work, you worship while you work. Child sacrifice is alive and well in modern Christianity. So, the next thing is the abundance of evidence. Here's what I mean by the abundance. Oh, you know what, real quick, before I move on. The abundance of sacrifice, here's what's so funny. The same people who are willing to sacrifice their time, their sleep, their health, their family for, for money, for greed, are not willing to do it for God. So you, you'll stay up till 2 in the morning writing emails, sending emails. And you're like, you know what, I haven't read my Bible today, but you know what, God, I'm tired. I need that sleep. 
So you stay up for work, but not for Jesus. So, the last symptom is an abundance of evidence. Here's what I mean by an abundance of evidence. One of the, difficult thing, one of the difficulties when it comes to the sin of greed is that it's very hard to detect. So sometimes the best way to figure out you struggle with it is not by necessarily looking at the greed, but by looking at everything else that's happening in your life. And it'll, the symptoms will lead you to the source. Actually, Tim Keller brought up this idea. He said that one of the difficulties about greed is that it's hard to figure out or to detect that you're committing that sin. He says that with other sins, it's easy, right? It's like the sin of adultery, for example. Uh, no person has ever been in the middle of adultery and say, whoa, that's not my wife. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, you pretty much know before you jump in, that's not your wife. You know you're committing adultery before you commit adultery. He says that greed, though, is very insidious and it's very hidden. That's why we saw earlier it's described as a trap. The whole premise of a trap is that it's camouflaged, so you don't see it, right? It's hard to see. So sometimes we got to look at all the other stuff. So remember what I talked about earlier. If you're willing to cut corners, if you're willing to lie on taxes, if you're willing to, to uh, violate the Sabbath, uh, if you're willing to ignore family, you should probably ask, why am I willing to commit all these sins without ever even doubting? Well, it might be because of greed. But one of the, one of the, 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 the articles I came across this week is from this Christian author. He wrote a book on, on um, money, and he, he says that there are four types of greed. And here's, here's kind of why I want to put it under this category, because hopefully this will be that final net I cast out to try to catch everybody. He says there are four types of greed. He said the first type of greed is the people who hoard, the hoarders, people who are like, I got I to gotta hoard. And that, that can be physical hoarding. Maybe you struggle with that. But it's financial hoarding. It's the person who's got to save every dollar, every cent. We got to save because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. We, we don't know. They, they, they always, always hoarding, the saver. It's so funny when you think about it, though, because the people who are savers in a marriage judge the people who are spenders. Hey, you're, you're so greedy. That's your problem. You're greedy. That's your issue. You're greedy. You just got to spend, 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 spend. Well, according to that, you're just as greedy as the spender is. The saver is just as greedy as the spender. Okay? So then the first type is the hoarder. The, the second type of greed is the overspender, the person who overspends, the person who, has, who keeps racking up debt, right? Just constantly overspending because you feel that that satisfaction, that hole is going to be filled with the, the next pair of shoes, the next outfit, the next vacation, the next restaurant. It's just right around, it's right, right, right over the horizon. I'll get there. Overspending. Another one, he says, another type is the competitive greed. Here's a competitive greed. The competitive greed are the people who are keeping up with the Joneses. People who didn't even know they wanted that car until someone else had the car. Honey, why do you want to get that lawnmower? Well, because Bill has the lawnmower, honey. Like, duh. <laughs> didn't even know you wanted those shoes until someone else had the shoes. Didn't know you wanted to go to Italy until someone else went to Italy. It's the competitive greed. And the last one, and this one's controversial, but I'm going to say it because I don't care about being controversial. Because this one might, might seem like I'm making a political statement, but I'm not. He says the last type of greed is the entitlement greed, which is the person who says, I will not lift a finger, but you owe me something. The government owes me. The church owes me. My family owes me. I'm not going to do anything, but you owe me something. That's entitlement greed. Those are the four types of greed. And here's the last thing I'll say about this abundance, and, and we'll move on. What's interesting about this idea of, of greed, and some of you who've been here at Tri-Village, we, we've talked about this more than once, but every single person in here is motivated by three, one of three types of root idols, these primary motivators that every human being is motivated by. You're either motivated by security, that's one S, significance or satisfaction. The people who want security, the thing they want more than anything else in life is they want control. Just give me control. Just give me power. Let me, let me get my hands on the steering wheel. Control, that's what a security person wants. The people in the middle, significance, that's me, what they want is they want attention. They, they want approval. They want applause. They want to be noticed. They like to be liked and they love to be loved. Those are the people in the middle. That's what they want. The most they want in their life is to be seen and accepted. 
right? Then the last people are the satisfaction people. They don't really care about control. They don't really care about being seen. They just want comfort. They want peace. They want just life abundantly, right? To, to figure out what type of uh, uh, S you are, which are the three S's you are, you should look at how you spend money, how you treat money. How you treat money will tell you who you are. Because the person who wants security, control, they tend to save all their money. Because as long as we have money, I'm in control. The person who, who is a significance person, me, they tend to spend their money because money makes me look good. Makes me look acceptable. Makes me look. So I will overspend in order to get approval. But here's why I'm so insidious. About five years ago, I started saving money. But I've realized that even my saving is still significant because now I want people to look at me and say, what a great money manager he is. He's so fiscally responsible. And then the satisfaction people, they don't care if they rack up credit card debt. As long as there's comfort, they'll buy any, game, any gaming system. They will buy, uh, any, they'll go on any vacation. They will spend on anything in order to meet that deep desire of comfort and satisfaction. What's beautiful about Jesus, though, is that Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So the person who struggles with Security says, hey, listen, I'm the way. Security is found in me. Not in money, in me. To the person who struggles with significance, he says, listen, I am the truth. What I say about you is what matters. It's not what your bank account says about you. It's what your Savior says about you. And then to the person who struggles with satisfaction, Jesus says, you can buy all you want. But true life, he's like, I came to bring life and to bring it abundantly, Jesus says. True peace and satisfaction is found in me. Jesus deals with all three S's. They're all met at Calvary. So we've seen the problem of greed, and I want to conclude this morning by looking at the solution for greed. We, now that we have a better understanding of the problem, um, I want to camp out for a few minutes on the solution. Now, here's the thing about greed. Greed, I brought this up at the beginning, is one of those sins that's very easy to condemn, but it's very hard to admit. Right? Like I said at the beginning, every person in here, I didn't have to convince you that greed is a sin. Oh, it's a huge sin. But it's always someone else's sin. It's very easy to condemn, but it's very hard to admit. And because it is hard to admit, it is very difficult to find the cure. Because you can't look for a cure if you don't think you're sick. A lot of us don't know the cure to greed because we don't think we have it. So it's easy to condemn. It's hard to admit, and because it's hard to admit, it is difficult to find a cure. But this morning, that's what we're going to do. We are going to address the cure. And the cure to greed is not guilt, it's grace. Amen. Listen, follow me here for a second. In most churches in America, and I don't like saying statements like this, but I'm saying it because it's true. In most churches in America, when greed is brought up, this issue of greed, when they get to the solution part, it's guilt, 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 guilt. So by the end of it, you, what you need is not Jesus Christ. You need Dave Ramsey. Seriously. That's why most sermons on this issue ends with a Dave Ramsey program. Go to financial peace. No, no, no. You don't need Dave Ramsey. You need Jesus Christ. Guilt doesn't work. Only grace works. Guilt has never made someone generous. But grace will transform you from the inside out. And here's what grace does. Grace changes you in three ways. The first thing grace does is grace changes your thinking. The second thing grace does is grace changes your theology. And then the third thing it does is it changes your thanking or your thanksgiving. So let's look at each one because each one of these is crucial if we're going to have a proper view of how to deal with our greed. The first thing that grace does is grace changes your thinking. You may not know this, but we actually have a very worldly view when it comes to the sin of greed and the topic of money. Many Christians here, including myself, we have, we have been very influenced by the world around us. And you know how I know that? Because of the way we're raising our children. When we raise our children, we're like, listen, 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 guys, 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 just listen, child. Uh, 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 you, yeah, yeah, you got have, have Jesus. Jesus is important. But you better get that education, though. And you better get that master's. And you better get that degree. And you better get that job because you need money. If you don't have money, whoo! You, yeah, yeah, you need a savior. But, man, you better get those savings. I know we believe those lies because of the way we raise our children. 
And a lot of times when, 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 when a kid comes up to a parent and says, I want to go in the ministry, part of the reason why the parent's freaking out is like, well, how are you going to make money? Where's the money going to come from? Not what, what does God want you to do, but how are you going to pay the bills? Like if God can't pay for that or provide for that. Right? But that's the way we raise our kids. And if we're not careful, we allow the world to influence how we view money. And then we start to be greedy when we should be graceful. There should be grace. Instead, there's greed. Okay? So here's why we got to be careful. Because in the world we live in, one of the things that happens in the world we live in is the world says that if you have money, you are automatically successful. If you have riches, you are automatically righteous. That's how the world treats wealthy people. Wealthy people can be idiots. But as long as they have money, you're like, well, he must be something because he's got money. No. That's not how it works, but that's how we think. And so that's why just a few months ago that scandal came out with the colleges and the university and rich people paying for their kids. Because when you have money, you start to become entitled and you think you're superior. You think you can just buy yourself into anything. It actually starts to change the way you think of yourself when you have money. I heard of a study done uh, a, few, a few years ago by this university, and they, they put a camera right outside their university at this intersection. It was a four-way stop intersection. And, and they just left the camera there for years. And what this, this study, which was so fascinating, what they discovered is that the people who were most likely to uh, uh, just completely skip the stop sign or not give people the right-of-way were the people with the most expensive cars. The more expensive your car was, the more likely you were to not follow the rules when you got to the intersection. Why? Because that's what the world teaches you. That's what kids are learning at school. That's what kids are learning at home. If you have money, you're successful. Yeah, Jesus is important, but your ultimate security and identity come from how much money is in your bank account. And that's the issue. We are raising our kids in that way. But, but here's the issue. That might be what the world's economy says, but look at what God's economy says. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. In Proverbs 11, it says, wealth is what? Worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Listen, when you get to the last day, What's going to save you is not your riches, it's Jesus' righteousness, okay? And so if you think you're going to buy your way into heaven the way you buy your way into everything else, that's not how heaven works. God works with different metrics, with different currency, and on a different economy. The quicker we understand that, the better things will go for us. We have to change our thinking. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter, uh, 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 1 Timothy chapter 6, I, I told you I was going to come back to verse 6, and this is something that really caught me off guard this week. I, I wasn't expecting it. In verse 6, uh, he writes to Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I don't know about you, but for a long time, I thought that godliness had to do with my behavior. That if I'm godly, what that means is I am behaving like God. But what's interesting is that Jerry Bridges, who writes on this subject of godliness and ungodliness, he says that godliness has nothing to do with your behavior and everything to do with your belief. He says that a godly person is not someone who behaves like God. That's righteousness. He says that a godly person is someone who thinks of God often. God is always on your thoughts. God is always on the forefront of your mind. His glory, his will, it's all about God. That's what a godly person does. So what he's telling Timothy here is that the only way you can actually have contentment is if you have godliness. So I would argue that the world can have temporary contentment, but the only way you get permanent contentment is when you are godly, when you are filling your thinking, your thoughts, with God, with the gospel, with grace. It's the only way. The more I fill my thoughts with God, the less I will think about greed. You have to change your thoughts. That's why there's another place, uh, I think it's in 2 Timothy, where in 2 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul tells Timothy to, to flee from youthful passions, he says, but pursue something else. It's not just a matter of running from something. He's not just telling you to run away from greed. you got to run towards grace. Every morning, you're, you're naturally going to be drawn towards greed. So you got to run towards something else. It's not, just a, it's not a game of tag. It's not just running away from something. It's you got to run towards something else, to something better. The grace overcomes the greed. That's the only way to fight it. I, I got to change how I think. I got to completely change how I think. But here's what's, what's, what's beautiful, though, is we not only have to change our thinking in order for us to truly understand this, this uh, solution. If you go up to my three points again, I not, I not only have to change my thinking, I also have to change my theology. Because here's the thing. You and I don't have just worldly thinking. We also have worldly theology. And what I mean by that is the way we think about God is wrong. Theology means the study of God. A lot of us have a worldly theology. 
And we look at God and we make assumptions about God that are not biblical. So in Hebrews chapter 13, look look what the author of Hebrews says. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, he can easily go into the guilt and guilt and guilt and guilt. But what does he do? He does grace. And he says, here's how you deal with it. Here's how you keep your lives free from the love of money. He says, because God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? But don't miss that phrase, never will I leave you nor forsake you. The reason why that's the promise that God makes in order to deal with our greed is because he knows that's the lie we believe. The reason why we are greedy is because we think that God is going to leave us. We think that God is going to forsake us. God knows that our problem with greed is not our behavior, it's our belief. He goes after our belief. He says, listen, this promise has nothing to do with provision. It has everything to do with presence, okay? So for the prosperity people who say, oh, oh, oh here you go. here's why I can't be, I don't want to worry about money, because God is going to give me provision. That's not what he's promising you. There's other places where God says he's going to give you provision. In this passage, God's saying, I'm not going to give you provision. I'm going to give you my presence, and that should be enough. So in other words, listen to this, a lot of us are following God because we're like, man, if I just follow God, I'm going to try church because I just really want God to bless me. I want God to give me a gift. Newsflash, God is not here to give you a gift. God is the gift. If the only reason why you're here is to get a gift from God, you still don't get the gospel because Jesus Christ is the gift. He is the gift. That's what we see. It's the only way it works. And that's why I'm saying we got to keep going to grace. We got to keep going down to the level of grace, the level of grace. Because because if we keep it at the surface level, then all we can use is guilt. And that's why so many people end up preaching uh, Dave Ramsey instead of Jesus Christ. Because if we keep it up here and we just keep beating on the will and beating on the will and beating on the will, just be more generous, be more content. That's not how it works. The, The gospel doesn't go after our symptoms. It goes after the source. It goes after the source. And the last one is this. It not only changes your thinking. Grace not only changes your thinking. Not only does it change your theology, but it changes your thinking. It changes your thanksgiving. Here's the thing. If you take the first two steps, the the third one's going to happen naturally. Automatically it's going to happen. It's going to change your thinking, your thanksgiving. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Paul, now let me give you some context. Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's raising money for this other church that's in need. Now, Paul is an apostle. If anyone could have used guilt, it was him. He could have said, hey, hey, listen, listen, we need to get get the money. Come on, on. I'm Paul. Send me your checks. We got to go ahead and help this church that's in need. But he he doesn't use guilt at all. Look what he says. He says, for you know the grace, not the guilt of our Lord Jesus Christ, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And so what we see is that the primary motivator for our generosity, the primary way to kill our greed is grace. Grace kills greed at its root. When you truly understand that Jesus came, he will, even though he was rich, that's what all Philippians 2 says, he, even though he was rich, he became nothing. He, he emptied himself. Even though he was rich, he became poor so that the people who are poor might become rich. So think about it. At the cross, Jesus Christ, he elevated your price tag and he relocated your treasures. See, the problem with us, the reason why we're so greedy and we settle for worldly things is because we lower our price tag. Jesus shows up and says, don't lower your cost. You are invaluable. So much so that I had to come die for you. He elevates your price tag and he relocates your treasures. That's what Jesus Christ does. And here's the thing. The thing about greed is that the lie that greed is always saying is that's not enough. And that's not enough. And she is not enough. And he is not enough. It's not enough. That's not enough. The grace shows up and says Jesus is enough. He is enough. Jesus Christ is enough. Stop listening to the voice of greed. Jesus is enough. Enough. And the reason why Jesus, according to this passage, came to deal with our spiritual poverty, not our financial poverty, the reason why Jesus came to be a savior and not a financial consultant is because Jesus knew that your greatest problem wasn't your savings, it was your sin. 
Your, your, your greatest problem wasn't your wallet, it was your worship. Your, your greatest problem, listen, your greatest problem wasn't your bank account, it was your beliefs. Your greatest issue wasn't your tithes, it was your theology. Jesus came to deal with your real problem. He came not just to suppress the symptoms, he came to satisfy the source. That's why grace, not guilt, is what kills your grief. Once you understand that, it moves you from a scarcity mindset to an abundancy mindset. Listen, to the degree that you are willing to admit the poverty of your sin, to that same degree, you will embrace the riches of your salvation. Amen? Let's pray.